Uh, if you've got your Bibles, John 4 is where we're going to be. And, um, and like I said, this is just a core message for us, what we're going to be about as a church. And the beautiful thing about John 4 is that uh, it's a story of the woman at the well, um, but, and, and it tells us later on that we're to be, to, to, to be worshipers of, of God in spirit and in truth. And that's our bottom line for the day, worship God in spirit and in truth. And we'll be talking about what that means. But it also sets up the passage by telling us some barriers to worship. And so we're going we're gonna to walk through the passage together to talk about what some of those barriers are. I want to point those out to you. And, uh, and so we're going to read the passage, and we'll be stopping along the way just to talk through, through the, each particular uh, point of the passage. So starting the end of verse 6, it was about the sixth hour, and that's, that's noon, high noon, okay? A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And I'm going to stop there for just a second. So this, this has social implications that we don't quite understand. So, so in any third world culture, any culture that goes and draws water for themselves, the, the, the typical time to do that is in the morning. It, it, before it gets too hot, you go, you draw water, you, you bring it back for, you know, you, and today you, you, you make tea out of it, you bathe with it, you feed your animals with it, you, you do all of those things. But you go in the morning. So for this woman to be going at noon is a very peculiar thing to happen. So there, that, that tells us immediately that something is up here because it's abnormal. It's not, it's not uh, what is customary uh, to the time, okay? And so you just don't go at noon to draw water. It's too hot. And uh, I saw a guy, it's like yesterday. I was driving down the road and I saw a guy running at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, something is wrong with that dude, Right? You see someone running at like 5, 6, 7 in the morning, that's normal, right? Because it's not hot. You see someone running at noon, you, you're like, that guy is about to die. I have to follow him to make sure he doesn't die, right? Because uh, it's just too hot to be running. Uh, but that, that's kind of what we're dealing with. All right, let's, let's keep running. Uh, uh, 7 says, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Um, husbands, don't, don't, don't use that and say, I'm just trying to be like Jesus to your wives, okay? Give me a drink. Okay, it's not appropriate. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so to call a relationship between Samaritans and Jews one of racial tension would be an understatement. Jews hated Samaritans. Uh, they would pray and thank God that they were not born a half-breed Samaritan. To keep from coming in contact with Samaritans, if, if going, getting back to home, the quickest way was to go through Samaria, they wouldn't do it. They would completely walk around Samaria so as not to have any contact with these people. They hated one another. And so now you... you you see even more cultural implications that Jesus, a Jew, was talking to a Samaritan, but not just a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman, which in that culture would have been just the most outlandish thing for a Jewish man to do, uh, to, to sit and talk with a Samaritan woman. So you see Jesus immediately crossing over cultural boundaries. You see him immediately breaking through barriers that humanity or society has set up. You see him immediately saying, those boundaries do not affect me, I am God. 
And so I'm walking, busting through those boundaries, talking to a Samaritan woman as a Jewish man. It was a big deal. Uh, it was a big deal. And so let's keep reading. So you, you need to understand that because the whole story is set in, in this idea of Jesus breaking the mold, basically the religious mold. Verse 10, <clears throat> Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Okay, so three barriers to worship I want us to walk through. The first barrier of, of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, the first barrier is to, to be drinking from the wrong well. So Jesus is arguing with this woman about he, he's explaining to her that this is a well. It, it provides temporary satisfaction, but you will be thirsty again. And he says, I can give you water in which you will never thirst again. Now, we know it to be, he's not talking about H2O, right? He's talking about a spiritual fulfillment that will cause in her a, a welling up, a growing to eternal life and salvation. So he's talking about and explaining to her the difference between a well that lasts and enjoy for forever as opposed to a temporary well that will only provide temporary satisfaction, right? And so he's explaining to her about these things. Now, what the woman does is significant because in respect to drinking from wrong wells or things that we shouldn't have as a part of our life, we do the same thing. She starts fighting for the well. She starts to say, are you better than our father Jacob? And at that point, Jesus could have been like, yeah, right? And she says, he drank from this well. His sons drank from this well. His livestock drank from this well. This well has been culturally approved. This well has, has watered our generations upon generations for years and years and years. I mean, this has been our well. And you're too good for this well? So she's fighting for the validity of what Jesus is using as symbolism for a wrong well. And, and he's going to get to the issue of her heart in just a moment. But the bottom line is, for us, a lot of times we're drinking from the, the, the wrong well. And culturally, what that looks like for us, I think there are, there are uh, three things that keep us. And we want to be a community that is gospel-centered worshipers. We, uh, Christ, you know, our... our, our uh, mission statement is pointing people to a Christ-centered life. We constantly want to be Christ-centered, gospel-centered, right? And so, so in that is gospel-centered worship. And so there are some things, uh, that some wrong wells that keep us from gospel-centered worship. Some of those, I think, are in our culture are money and comfort, which is why we're increasing the tithe around here to 20%. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, you're a guest. You're like, this is a cult. I'm leaving, right? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just playing. Uh, but seriously, money and comfort. You know, this idea that money can give us comfort, comfort for us is an illusion. 
Uh, it's an illusion. And as believers, we should constantly be fighting to be obedient to the Lord, not comfortable. Comfort's not our end game. Obedience to the Lord is our end game, right? Faithfulness to God and His faithfulness to us. Uh, and a lot of times we, we take the gifts of God and, and we let the worship terminate on those gifts instead of using the gifts that God gives us for worship of Him. So, so you, have, you have money and comfort is a, is a big one that a lot of people... Uh, you, you know, iPhone, you, you look at what we do with iPhone. I'm guilty of this. I got an iPhone 6, same thing. You know, it's like you had the 4, and as soon as you got the 4, they came out with a 5, right? And you're like, oh, the 5, right? It's bigger, it's nicer, right? And then they came out with this iPhone 6. Hey, kind of deal. And, and we're like, oh, we gotta have, we got to have that. we gotta, we got to get that. And it's intoxicating, right? It's just like, and I'm guilty of it too. I'm like, okay, I got, I've got an iPhone 6. I've got to have that, right? And then like you take your iPhone 5 and sell it for like 20 bucks back to Verizon or whatever, right? And it's like, or, or you put it on Craigslist. This is what happens. This is this vicious cycle that we get into. And, uh, and this illusion that it's going to fulfill some need in us. Now, having nice new things is cool, awesome, I like it, but our worship should not terminate in those things, right? It should terminate in, in the gift giver. Leads us to the second thing. The second, second uh, um, cultural thing, wrong well, that we dive into is relationships and sex. Uh, again, God gifted these things to us. This is, when, when done God's way, it's a beautiful gift from Him. It, it's, it, it's meant for our enjoyment and our good. But when our worship terminates in, wor in relationship and sex, when we make that relationship or sex God, that's when we start drink using it and drinking from it, and it's a wrong well. But when those things are seen as gifts from God and terminate in a worship of God, they're beautiful things. When they're done God's way, they're seen as from God, they're used as worship to God, it's right, it's good, it's a good well. A uh, third thing is respect and, and approval. Uh, so many times we're chasing respect and approval from men. Um, and, and, and we will neglect obedience to God for the sake of what men think of us, what people think of us, and, and have we earned the respect. And we keep chasing this dream of being on top of the world when in reality, the only approval we need and the only identity we need is from Jesus Christ. And if He should grant us to be respected in the eyes of men, we should then turn it to again to say, praise be to God, worship be to God. This is a gift from God. I'm going to turn it back and praise Him with this gift. It's not, it should not be what is the desire of our heart. That's when it's a wrong well for us. Right, And so you, you have these things that are the wrong well. And, and, and I'll be the first one to tell you, if there is something, uh, if there is something in you or, 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 or in this world that provides for us more fulfillment, and, and, and by more I mean f f fulfilling us more, satisfying more, that was awesome, satisfying us more and forever then we need to go after that thing. But there is nothing in our world that will fulfill us fully 
and forever outside of Jesus Christ. And that's why we pursue Jesus, because he is the water, the well, that will satisfy us, will keep us from thirsting again. It is a, a well, a spring in us that springs up to eternal life. It grows in us, and it is a fulfillment that is full and forever. That's the well we're drinking of when we drink from Christ. And that's why we're going to be a faith community that will always preach Jesus is the right well. Jesus, not Jesus plus this, not Jesus add or take away anything, solely Jesus and Him alone. He is the well. He is what satisfies us. And that's what we're going to build this church upon, that truth. Uh, let's keep reading. Jesus said to her, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said to him, and I love this, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> uh, so Jesus just lays her whole life on the line, uh, and, and, uh, and she's just like, Oh, wow, okay, you know my whole world. Uh, and so here you have the second barrier, I think, to authentic worship. And I think the second barrier is unconfessed or unrepentant sin. Um, here's what we're going to be as a faith community. We, we, we're not going to be perfect <laughs> by any means, right? We're, we, we, are, we are going to let you down. We're going to let each other down, all of those things. But what we're going to strive to be is authentic. Uh, now, let me tell you what that, does, what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean um, that everyone is going to come in here and be the best uh, goody Christ followers in the world and everybody's going to come in here ready to worship. That, that's not what that means. What it means is that as you come through those doors, we are going to be who we are. We're not, gonna, we're not coming through those doors with our sunny best on. We're not coming in there pretending to be something we're not. Right? Now... This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Um, it's okay to walk in those doors hurting. It's okay to walk in those doors uh, ready to come into worship of God and knowing that there is sin that you have to bring to God first and confess to Him first. So it's a place where it's okay to not be okay. But it's, it's not a place where it's okay to stay that way. Because we, we want to be an authentic community that comes seeking after the heart of God, laying our bare bones on the table and saying, here I am, all of me. N nothing hidden. And you see that with the woman. She was trying to hide something from God, and there is no secrets with God. Secrecy is a myth. God, God knows what you've come in here with. He knows the sin you're struggling with. He knows what you said to your wife this morning. He knows those things. And so it is foolish for us to come in here pretending as if the opinion of man matters more than the opinion of God. So we come in here and we put on a show for everyone else to feel like we've got it together. We're not going to be that. We're going to be an authentic community. We're going to come in here where it's okay to not be okay. Right? And so that, that's what we're shooting for. And, uh, and when we... I want you to understand why we want to encourage you to confess and, and repent of sin. When you confess and repent of sin, what you are doing is you are fighting for, vigorously fighting for, your own joy. 
If true joy is found in authentic worship of Jesus, then anything that would hold us back from that has to be eliminated, right? So the sin that we drag in here, we try to kill. And we, we confess it, we repent, we say, Jesus, we want you more than those temporary wells. We're coming to you. And we're fighting for our own joy by being real about our sin. And um, let's, let's move on. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. This is atypical of anyone you share the gospel with. A lot of times you will, you will start talking about particular sin and they will start trying to shift the conversation to some theological issue. Well, what about, you know, women in the church? What about homosexuality? What about these things? And when you're pressing on their heart, they try to shift to something else. That's what the woman's doing here. She doesn't want to deal with her heart, right? And that's what happens. That's what, what, what we experience in our own life, what we did in our own life. It's what we experience when we try to share the gospel uh, that, that the world tries to sidetrack us on issues rather than dealing with the heart, right? And so we see the third barrier here that, that I want to talk about. The third barrier is ignorance. Now, by ignorance, I, I don't mean IQ. I don't mean you have to be a smart, the smartest individual. Lord knows I'm, I'm the pastor of this church. I barely made it through college, right? And so they, 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 uh, they just, they, they grace graduated me just to get me out of there, I believe, right? Uh, and so you don't have to have the highest IQ. That's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, what, what I'm speaking to is you can't worship what you don't know. And so we're going to be a faith community that is constantly pushing us to know the God we worship. So we're not just going to come in here and sing Kumbaya and, and, and just begin to picture God in our minds as what we think Him to be. No, we're going to go to the source of absolute truth, which is the Bible. And so we're not going to be ignorant of what it says. We're going to, we're going to constantly be grounded in His Word and study of Him. And, it's, and, and, and we're going to teach the full counsel of God. And so it's the trend of our culture to soften the God of the Bible. Right? We want to soften him. Like, Jesus isn't the kind of Jesus that would still turn over tables and whip. That's my beard again. Is it good? Sorry, I, need, I probably need to shave that thing, huh? Oh, so God is not going to be the God anymore that flips tables and whips people. That's what our culture says. That he, he's, not, he's, not come, he's not the God of revelation that is coming back, riding a white horse, slaying people with a sword, dripped in blood, with a tattoo on his thigh. Right? And so we don't, the culture says, we don't preach those things anymore. We, we just preach Jesus as, you know, basically a more masculine tinkerbell. He's floating around, spraying blessings on everyone and giving warm hugs. No, that's not the God of the Bible. And we're going to be consistent to preach the God of the Bible. Now, hear me. I don't want you to think, that guy's just angry. God is love. And it was love that poured out the wrath of God upon the cross of Jesus. That was rooted in love for his children. That's love. But the reason that love was 
was poured out was because it was a wrath of, that was stored up because of our sin. So we're going to preach who God is, His character, His nature, e- everything He's about. We're going, to, we're going to try to be balanced and consistent on what the Word says about who He is. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and this is constantly going to rub against uh, what we encounter in our culture, that the, uh, um, you, you know, young, young pastors, young preachers uh, think that they, they're gonna, doing Jesus a favor by giving him better PR, right? Like making his hair look a little better, um, you know, just preaching the soft things. Uh, and that's just not what we're going to do around here. The God of the Bible is both loving and terrifying. You know, in Revelation, it says that when the wrath of God is poured out on the world, it says that men will cry out for mountains to fall on them, and there will be no mountains to fall on them. That's crazy. (laughs) That's terrifying. But that's God. And so we're going to preach the whole counsel of who God is. Because we want to be a people that is not just aimlessly going about our lives, checking off church off a checklist. We want to see God for who He is and be a people that stand under Him and say yes to everything you are. And I worship you for who you are. And this is when worship explodes in us. When, when we stop, when, when we begin to realize who we are, because the problem is a lot of us, begin to think that we are God and He's not God, that we're, we are good without God, that we can do this without God, when the reality is that pre-Christ, before we become Christians, we are God-haters. We are rebels, like that song we sang. We're rebels, running away from God, hating God. And before Jesus saved us, if He were to physically come and stand before us, we would punch Him rather than hug Him. That's what our sin's done to us. But the reason this explodes worship in us is because then we say, oh, we were, we were rebels, we were God-haters, and He still loved us enough to reach down and snatch us up and save us. So the, the, the realization of what we were, dead in sin and, and lowly God-haters, to the magnificent love of Christ to be poured out, the wrath of God for my sin poured out on Jesus on the cross, it explodes worship in us. Because we sit back and we say, Oh, praise you. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I, I, I earned and deserved the complete opposite of that your grace and mercy poured out on me that's worship praise God that's worship so we're going to be a faith community that honors God by loving him with all of our heart all of our soul all our mind and all of our strength our head heart and hands we're going to we're going to pursue Christ in full worship holistic worship of our entire lives Uh, let's let's keep going Verse 23 says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So God is seeking worshipers with inflamed hearts and informed minds. 
It's, it, it is both. It's not one or the other. Now, now, a lot of us come from more of a Baptist leaning. A lot of you Baptists. And the Baptist leaning typically is to lean towards more of the informed mind rather than the inflamed heart, right? We, we see someone start dancing in their seat, we get a little uncomfortable, right? We're like, hold on a minute, right? And, and so we, we sway a lot of times towards informed mind, which is great, part of it, uh, but also we can't, be, we can't let that lead us to being stale and cold towards the things of God. Right? We can't just be, because what happens is when we, when we start doing just informed mind without an inflamed heart, what we begin to do is we sit in our seat and, and instead of worshiping God, we begin to evaluate how everyone else is worshiping God. And when we become the critic rather than the worshiper, we've missed the boat. And so it's not, just, it's not just a study, which I hope you do. It's not just being theologically uh, pursuing theology, the study of God. It's not just that, which I hope you do. But it's a balance of an inflamed heart. It's a coming in here and letting the study of theology be what leads us to our knees in worship. The more we know about God, it should lead us to a, 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 a more passionate worship of Him. Now, let me speak to the flip side of that. If you're all inflamed heart and you were like, amen, I'm tired of people just studying all the time and reading all the time. Listen, if you're on the flip side of that, you're more of an inflamed heart and not an informed mind. Meaning that you, you, you have your own source of pride in that. You look at people who study all the time, you say, I can't believe they just study. Don't they know just people need Jesus? Well, what kind of Jesus are you going to give people if you're not studying the Bible? And so you can't, you can't just be uh, all inflamed heart and no informed mind. It's a balance of the two, right? Uh, we can't be afraid to be a people who think, who discuss the big issues of God without getting our feelings hurt all the time, right? Like, uh, this is, this, if you're an in, inflamed heart uh, person, you sway that way, what, what happens in you a lot of times is you, someone tells you you're wrong, and instead of having good discussion about it, what you do is you get your feelings hurt and you say, well, I ain't ever talking to you again. Right? And so that's unhealthy. And so we have to be a people. First of all, at some point, we were all wrong. Right? So I don't know what, at what stage we think we've got all the answers right, but we don't. <laughs> And so we need to be in constant you know, community with each other to, to, to sharpen each other and make each other more like Jesus. Okay? Uh, let's move on. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Uh, I love that. She says, okay, when, when the Messiah comes, he'll sort all this out and tell us what to do. And Jesus is like, I just did. I just told you. I'm he. All right? Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away in the town, and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, let me explain to you what just happened. So this woman had every barrier of worship broken down. She came face to face with Christ. 
And here was a woman who was hiding because of her sin. She was going to the well at noon because of her sin. Christ comes, speaks to her heart, and what does she do? She runs to the town and says, Hey, everybody, come see the man who told me everything I've ever done. And all of you know what I've done. He's the one who told me everything I've ever done. So here's a woman who was hiding because of her sin. Now is taking her sin and saying, Christ knows it. Christ is done, is dealing with it. Come and see if this be the Christ. So no longer was her sin, her sin, her shame. It became her testimony. And this is what Christ does when he changes a heart and life. He takes what, what, the, what Satan has used for shame for so long in your life and turns it into testimony. He takes what Satan has used to, to keep you away from God and, and uses it to draw you into him. You can see the change in the woman's heart and life. You, you, you can, even as she's running back to the town, excited, reborn, made new, she's saying, come, come and see and I love the fact that this is, this is pure evangelism. It, it, it is. She's the middle person, the middle man here. And she, she's going and she's saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Tell you about Jesus. But at the end of the day, you have to come and see about it. You have to experience Jesus. And that's what we do. In every venue God gives us, we, we express, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. This is what he's done. This is what he's doing in my life. You need to come. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Not necessarily come. I'm not talking about just church inviting. That's what I'm th- not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about inviting them into Christ. Show them Jesus. Let them experience worship. Let them experience Christ. Come and see Christ. It's a beautiful thing that, uh, that the town reacts uh, to this woman. Let's skip on down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So you see, you see what's happened here is that the, the woman's testimony, they come and see Christ. They, they, they believe that He is the Savior of the world. They come because of what God had done in her life. And here's what I wanted to promise you about our gatherings here. We, we want to be authentic. We want to seek God. We, we want to pursue Him in, in, in spirit and in truth. A couple of things as our faith family. First of all, I want you to know that I pray for you. I'm going to be praying for you on a weekly basis, and I might not know all of your names, but I'm praying for some of you by name, but from a lot of you as a body. I'm praying that God would move in your heart, the Spirit would move in your heart to raise up authentic worshipers that would pursue Christ with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and, And what I'm also asking God to do is I'm asking Him to do what I can't. What I mean by that is, I can get up here and yell and spit and holler, and, you know, y'all are in the spit zone here, so sorry if y'all have gotten some of that. Uh, I, I can try to persuade and motivate those kinds of things, but I cannot change the heart of a man. Only God can change the heart of people. 
And so I, that's what I pray. I pray, God, you change lives. You change hearts. Only you can save. Only you can break a hard heart and make it a, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Only you can do those things. And that, that's, that's what I cry out for God to do in this community. And, and, and that's what we as a church are going to continue to hold to this truth, that we can't change our community, only God can. So we pray to God to do it, and we, and we go and be obedient to what He's called us to do. And so we're going to be a faith community that is dependent upon Jesus to change people's lives. At the very start of this thing, I want you to understand, it's not personality-driven. Myself, Chad... If it's dependent upon us, it's going to fail. This is not about me. This is not about Chad, the worship guy, Van. It's not about any of that. It's only about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is it. And if it's about anything else, this thing is damned from the beginning. It's only about Christ. The second thing I, I want to express to you is that we as a church, we go exegetically through the Bible, meaning we go text by text, usually through an entire book. Uh, if you've been a part of LifePoint, Smyrna or Stewart's Creek, we've been walking through Exodus. We will do Exodus again. We'll pick up Exodus next summer. August 16th, we're starting back up with Romans here as well. And we're going to preach line by line through the Bible. Let's exegetically. The reason why we do that is so I can't skip over hard passages. <laughs> or I can't just preach the passages that I want to preach. I have to preach on all of the, the whole of the Bible, right? And the implications of that are, uh, let me express it to you like this. My prayer for this church has been, since I knew that God has called me to it, my prayer has been, God, I want to preach and lead in such a way that the church, the people, love you and not necessarily me. So what that means is that as we go line by line through the Bible, as I preach the whole counsel of God's Word, I'm going to say some things in such a way that will make some of you want to find a place, a different place that says those things a lot softer. But we're not going to do that as a church. We're going to be faithful to God's Word. We're going to, we're going to preach exegetically through the Scripture. We're going, to, we're going to hit all the counsel of God's Word because we believe it. We stand on it. It is the rock that we're building our houses on. And that's what we're going to build this church upon. Him, him and His Word. And so, so that's what we're going to be as a faith community. We're going to, we're going to, and, and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how that plays out in community, how it plays out in service, right? Um, but as a faith family today, our worship, our, do you have any barriers? Let's start this thing off right. Let's start this church off right. We want to be an authentic community. We want to come before God free and clear and say, God, here is me, all of me. Deal with me. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I want to, be, I want to have an inflamed heart and an informed mind. I want to pursue you with all that I have. Head, heart, hands. Every piece of me. What we're going to do now is I'm going to pray. And then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna worship together, but we're also going to take communion. And I thought it was important for us to start off this thing uh, together by taking communion with one another. If uh, you don't have to be a member of LifePoint to take communion with us, you do have to be a believer in Christ. Um, so, so that that's clear. Let me pray, and then I'll explain a little further 
uh, the communion piece. After communion, uh, we'll repass the offering baskets for offering. Just giving you a heads up, that's happening. Okay? Let me pray together. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for just your moving in this church. You're doing a great work in us. We pray, Father, that you would just continue to, to um, move us towards authentic worship, move us towards worshiping in spirit and in truth. Father, that if there be any barriers that keep us from worshiping authentically, would you convict us of that and help us to remove those? Jesus, we love you. I thank you for this church, and I thank you, my Father, that you are the one that we depend upon. You're the one that's got to grow this church. You're the one that is going to change heart and lives. It's on you, Father. Help us just to be obedient and faithful uh, to doing what you've called us to do. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.